Great. Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for thanks for coming. And uh, my view is, you know, God is a defender of the weak, and this is the kind of stuff He cares passionately about. And understanding, I think, is part of our Christian journey because this is the poor in our society, and it's important we understand it. Um, abuse is a very difficult and sensitive subject. I am not an expert. Um, there are many angles and layers to it which I don't understand and I cannot cover in 20 minutes. I certainly don't have all the answers. My personal passion on it comes from meeting it everywhere I've worked, from Sierra Leone to South Sudan to South Breton. While it is not the focus of today, I fully appreciate that many abusers are replicating received behaviours, often from a place of deep pain. I also understand Jesus died for loves and wants a restored relationship with them. I'll be talking mainly about the abuser in the male format uh, and the abusee in the female, but everything I say applies equally to male victims who also suffer horrifically and sometimes find it even harder to overcome. So, what is abuse? What does the Old Testament say about it? And what does the New Testament slash Jesus say about it? That's what we're going to try and do today. Um, it's a big subject, so you won't be able to cover it all. I get that, but just uh, bear with us. What is abuse, first of all? FGM, female genital mutilation, rape, trafficking, Rotherham, sex for aid, honour killings, Oxfam and Save the Children, the President's Club, Me Too campaign, gender-based abortions, Weinstein, forced marriages, scandals in politics, peacekeepers raping refugees, sexual assault, Barry Burnell, racism, institutional racism, economic, environmental and political abuse, to name but a few. It's very widespread. Two women every week in our country gets murdered by their partner or former partner. One in four women in this country is said to have received abuse. Domestic abuse, if you want to zone down into that, includes emotional abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, psychological abuse, financial abuse, someone controlling your cash or access to money, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, you must uh, submit to me, or vicarious abuse, where you understand or witness it going on in your household. If abuse is rep repressed, it can express itself in poor physical health and poor mental health, including depression, violence, psychosis, addictions. But at the heart of abuse are two words, two things, and that is control and power. The abuser, whether he realises it or not, is trying and wanting to... Uh, can have control and power over the abusee. When Rach and I, and that's obviously not good, when Rach and I have an argument or I upset Rach, actually I try and understand why, why did I say what I said to Rach? At the heart of that often within me is a desire for control or power as well. And so I stand before you as an abuser and I think it's much more helpful if we think of this word abuse or abuser as a spectrum rather than a binary thing. Uh, if you try and think about words like under the thumb, uh, on a leash, henpecked, maybe it's conceivable also that women occasionally have a desire to control their men also. Um, when I shared that with Rach, she said, yeah, good point, but make sure you tell everyone that I don't do that to you yet. <laughs> so that is abuse. So if abuse is about uh, control and power. The opposite of abuse is submission. Uh, not where one side submits to the other side, but mutual submission. And that's how the Bible paints marriage. Submit yourself to one another in Ephesians. Wives, submit yourself to your husband. And husbands, give yourselves up for your partner, as Christ did 
the church. So that's, a, very quickly, in a nutshell, is abuse. What does, uh, what, what is, there's much more you could say. What does the Old Testament say about it? Where does it first come in the Old Testament? And before I go into this, I don't know what you think about the Bible, but the Bible was written a long time ago, mainly by men, almost exclusively by men. And I find, when you consider this as a patriarchal society it's written into, uh, it's quite amazing and staggering how it stood the test of time. Even if you don't believe it as the word of God, as a document, it gives us incredible truths. I think it is obviously God-inspired. I'm a Christian. The first time I met the word meat abuse in the Bible is right back in the oldest part of the Bible, in Genesis 6. Uh, Noah's flood, we all know about Noah's flood. What triggered it? What made God do that? Actually, it was abuse by women of men. Genesis 6 verse 2 says, Men took the women as their own. Or as, as they chose. Men took the women as their own, which can, can mean anything, can't it? It's horrible thoughts can become on that. And God detested that. He detests abuse. And that's right back in the ancient part of the scripture. And that's what we need to know and understand, that God detests abuse. And we think, how does that fit with this God of love that I hear about all the time? Well, if you're lucky enough to have some female that you care for, or anyone you care for, uh, mother, sister, wife, daughter, just allow your mind for one moment to imagine what, how you would feel if someone took them for their own. And stop thinking about it, because it's horrible. Your mind can't go down any... It's the worst avenue of thought for your mind. How did you feel? Well, you detested the very thought of it. So, of course, God, out of his love for us, absolutely detests any kind of abuse to anyone, anywhere, because we are all created equal. And if one person takes power or control over the other, we're breaking a fundamental ordinance of creation. So God detests abuse. And as we manifest that, we should detest abuse. We should talk about it. And we, if we meet with abuse, tell them God detests that. That's the first thing. I think that's good news. The second thing is that um, if you read the Old Testament, there are, I found three rapes. There may be more, but I found three rapes in the Old Testament. Um, Genesis 34, Dinar, the daughter of Jacob, was raped. 2 Samuel 13, Tamar, uh, who was a princess, suffered incestual rape from her half-brother. In Judges 19, a lady uh, suffered a gang rape and abuse through the night, and at dawn they let her go. Lovely. So, and the thing about these rapes, there's loads you could talk about it, but the thing about, one thing I want to bring out is nowhere in any of those texts will you find one word, one comma of blame towards the female slash victim, which is incredible. Nowhere will you find any blame in the Bible towards the victim, and Jesus doesn't either. That's interesting. I think that's radical news. I think it's good news. It's radical news because so often actually in ourselves and in society and other societies, and if you study societies, the female gets blamed. Sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in very real ways. If you go to Saudi Arabia now, this is true, you are found of being raped by a man. You can then be liable to be stoned because it's your fault in their society. Or you go to Pakistan, you have an affair with a man in Pakistan, you might then suffer an honour killing as a result of you having an affair. The woman gets the blame. Well, in the Bible that doesn't happen, and we as Christians uh, are totally different from that. It's a totally radical news. That you, you won't find this stuff in Islam. So our God does not blame the victim of abuse. Uh, I think that's good news. The reason it's good news as well is so often when people have suffered violations, their innate, in, almost instinctive reaction is to blame themselves. There's, you read that time again, it must have been my fault. No, it wasn't your fault. 
Absolutely, it wasn't your fault. If he took power over you, that was not your fault. You are created equal to him, and it's not your fault. So let me make that absolutely clear. This is God's use. And we've got to embody that, because we shouldn't be blaming people either. Even if you were a prostitute, scantily clad, smashed off your face with a regular punter in the room, and you say to him, not tonight, dear, I've got a headache, and he then so much as once touches you inappropriately, it was not your fault. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of God. That's the message of Jesus. He detests it, and he doesn't blame you for it. It's radical news, and it's good news. Going into the New Testament, uh, Jesus opened his ministry by saying, this is why I'm here, this is my ministry, to release the oppressed and set the captives free. People in, in abusive relationships are oppressed and in captivity. It's his job, and therefore our job, to set them free. If we land in Mark 14, here's... Uh, in, in between, a juxtaposition between a man and a female, the man is verbally abusing a female, and Jesus says this to him. He says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Three words. Leave her alone. Stop abusing her. And if we, if we are as followers of Jesus, the main thing. Anyway, click down. Can you click down? So if we are followers of Jesus, we must embody that and we must be prepared to stand up against abusers as Jesus was and say to them, leave her alone. This has applications for us all over the place. If you're in a boardroom this week and the chair keeps interrupting the female in the room, you stand up for her. If you're a middle manager and you're exploring, I don't know, maternity pay or gender pay or something like that, make sure it's equal. If you're in the dog queue this week and there's a guy behind you cussing his bird, Tell him to stop it. If someone you know is pimping out their girl so they can score drugs, that's not on. If you're at school this week and someone twangs the bra strap of a girl, call him up on it. It's not what should happen. Jesus said, leave her alone. We should embody that message when we face abuse, be it big abuse or small abuse. We should carry that on. Just click back up one. Um, so that's the message. And if you're sitting there thinking, hang on, that's quite a stretched application from three words, Ed. You've, you've, you've done a lot out of those three words. Surely that isn't really what Jesus meant. Actually, Jesus did this the whole time. There are loads of examples where Jesus was in abusive situations. So if you look at Luke 13, he's again juxtaposition between a powerful religious man and a rejected female. And the man has a go at the female, and Jesus stands up against the man, calls him a hypocrite, and has a go at him. And Luke ends that passage by saying... Jesus humiliated him. Powerful stuff that Jesus did. Therein fulfilling his mother's prediction about him by bringing down the proud and raising up the lowly, making them equal. Think of John 8 again. You've got men, religious men, about to abuse a female who's a vulnerable situation. Jesus is in the middle of that situation and effectively what he says is this. You have no right to abuse her. Just because she's been caught in adultery doesn't mean give you any right to abuse her. Because actually you're a sinner too. And what's going on in all three of those dynamics is this, is that people assume they have power over a female or a victim, and they have no power over it. That isn't God-given, because we're created equal. It's like you've got two £10 notes. And you may have been coming to church for 50 years, and you may have tithed and prayed and everything else, or you may be a really good person, but your value is exactly the same as this other person's. 
Because in John 14, one was a religious person, the other person was a sinner. And you may have been abused, you may have been scrambled on, you may have been shoved up someone's armpit or troubled on or trampled on, but you can still buy exactly the same amount of sweets as this one here. Nothing can break that. You are absolutely equal. And when Jesus was in the middle, when he saw someone abusing them, he said, leave her alone. And in fact, you could have been coming to church all your life. She may have slept with half of Breton, but when she comes in here and she meets with Jesus, she may have a more uh, special, intimate understanding of mercy and forgiveness than you do. So actually, you can learn from, from her. That was the message of Mark 14. And it's a message for us. And there's one more application of it, which applies probably to most people in this room. When we click on an image of a girl for our own desires, we are as complicit in her abuse as the pervert behind the camera that took the photo. Let me say that again. When we click on an image of a girl, we are as complicit in her abuse as the pervert behind the camera. The reason is we are the demand that fuels his trade. <coughs> and we are as complicit in his... Uh, we are as complicit as he is in her abuse. To which you say, well, hang on, she may have done that by her own free will. She may have, that's her own trade, she may want to do that. To which I say, yeah, but how do you know the girl you're clicking on today came there of her own free will? How do you know she wasn't drugged there, abused there, coerced there, manipulated there, trafficked there? You have no way of knowing that. And if you're looking at her image and taking her for your own lustful thoughts, Jesus says to you, leave her alone. Jesus says to you, stop looking at her. We're all tempted by it, we've all done it, but Jesus' words are clear. You're abusing her when you look at her. You're allowing, you're fostering a situation of abuse and leave her alone. So that's the first thing Jesus says. It's a strong Jesus we worship. It's a powerful Jesus we worship. He stands up to this stuff. He's not a weak guy. What would you say if you met abuse in the church? Difficult subject. It happens. How would you deal with that? Someone came to you and said, female came to you and started talking about stuff. Probably what she tells you is probably a tip of an iceberg of what is actually going on. What I wouldn't say to her is this. Don't say to her, make him nicer tea. Because what you're really saying is you're blaming her. You're saying you're not a good enough wife. And you're blaming her. I'd be careful about saying forgive him, because again, you're kind of just saying put up with it, carry on. You're condoning abuse then. What I would say is this, do you think he's abusing you? Is this abuse? Hold the silence, see what comes out. Do you think we should call the cops on this? I'm happy to stand with you if we call the cops. If you leave him, I'll be there with you and I'll support you through it. Too often we don't say those things and we condone them. Very often she won't leave him. On average, a, a woman gets beaten four, 20 times before she'll leave her partner. So probably you're going to have to long journey before you leave this person. Um, what would you say to him? What would Jesus say to him? Maybe Jesus, in Matthew 7, will say this to him. You are a ferocious wolf in sheep's clothing. <coughs> a wolf in sheep's clothing. You've got the mask of righteousness. You do all the right things, you say the right stuff. Actually, you're a wolf behind that mask. Paul met someone very similar, because Paul said, um, sometimes people have the appearance of godliness, but deny his power. To Timothy. He went on to describe how some men worm their way into vulnerable women's households and said you'd have nothing to do with them. This is scripture. It's, it's there to help us when we meet these situations. Ferocious wolf, appearance of godliness. Wolf behind a mask. What did Jesus do? How do we do that? We have to call it out and we have to be able to see through the mask, the sheep. 
I'll tell you a story now which has really helped me. It might help you, because stories you remember more. When I was dealing with a really difficult safeguarding issue at work, it was kind of invading my mind. I couldn't work it out. I was really struggling to see through it. Uh, it was a Sunday afternoon. I was try- alone in my room. I was try- trying to sit and pray, and I was um, read the Bible and think about this stuff. And I heard next door, two of my children, the youngest two, Alana and Joss, broke into an almighty fight. I'm like, oh, man. Do I have to deal with this? I mean, this is disturbing my peace now. And then I thought, hang on. Rach isn't here. Great. I'll ignore it. Fine. <laughs> so I ignored it. And this is, this is what I discovered. I discovered that um, occasionally these fights actually calm themselves down with their own accord if you don't do anything. So I left them there. Great. Alan, peace returns. Back to my thoughts. Fantastic. Two minutes later, Joss, who's the boy, the youngest one, he comes in. He's age three at this age. He comes in and he says to me, Dad, I say, yes, Joss. I say, he says, I stole my sister's pen. I'm like, okay. And he says, Dad, and he said it just like this. I swear, he said, Dad, I'm really sorry. And I looked at him and I knew you're not sorry in the slightest. (laughs) (laughs) What's happened here is age three, he's already learned a formula of words that he knows will get him off the hook. So what do you say to a kid in that situation? I say to him, thanks, well done, off you go, no worries. And I completely let him off the hook. He was reprieved. And as I thought about that situation, it's like, my word, God has actually shown me what's going on here in this situation I'm dealing with. Someone has apologised, but they have no repentance. And even a three-year-old, albeit a very intelligent three-year-old, has learned to apologise, to get off the hook. He's totally reprieved. And that's what we do. We cheapen grace. If we give people forgiveness when they haven't repented, they need to repent through their actions before they earn the forgiveness. And if they can, anyone can say a bunch of Christian words, even a three-year-old, that uh, is a form of apology. But when after apology, we need a repentance before they get forgiveness. And we have to be hard and strong on that. Jesus said, you are a ferocious wolf in sheep's clothing. When he said that, he said it to the crowds. And if you read uh, Matthew 23 again, he called people out again in front of the crowds. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. So Jesus called people out, identified their, them as abusers to the crowds. No confidentiality going on. He called them out. So Jesus was the original whistleblower. When you're in a situation of abuse, the, the abusers have power and they're trying to cover it up. And that could be the same on the street or in a boardroom or anywhere else. Or corruption, they will try and cover it up and it takes both moral clarity and moral courage to call it out and to say, do you know what? I'm going to stand up to this. It may well affect your career or you'll have a cost to you. Directly after Jesus said, leave her alone, Judas went out and betrayed him. It led directly to his death. So Jesus was prepared to suffer for calling out abuse, and so should we also. But Jesus was a whistleblower, and it happens, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't grasp on someone. That's just a way of covering it up. And the people that say don't grasp are those in power. And it's the same in the boardroom. They'll cover it up using their power to cover up abuse or corruption. As Christians, part of being like Christ is to have the courage to call it out. If you are in that situation, I'd get someone around you to pray for you, because it, it does take guts. If you think of the President's Club, situation where 100 rich and powerful men were sexually harassing uh, women, what happened there? Actually, it was a female, an undercover reporter, that called it out. She broke that story. We don't think of reporters as Christ-like, but when she broke that story, she was absolutely being like Jesus. And in so doing, she unmasked and brought down 
this great big presence club full of rich and powerful men. It's quite something, isn't it? None of the men dared blow the whistle. These powerful men didn't have the moral, moral courage. This female did. And as Jesus, we should be like uh, the female that pulls out abuse. You get the point. Jesus was the original whistleblower. So, God doesn't blame. He detests abuse. He says, leave her alone. And he, as followers of Jesus, we've got to be prepared to call it out and shout out about abuse when it occurs, which takes moral courage. I know this is quite heavy. I know it's big stuff. Uh, and I recognise that. And uh, it's also not stuff we often talk about, but I think it's biblical. What about those people who suffer abuse? Um, if, you, if you had time, you could go into those rapes in the Old Testament. What they say in uh, 2 Thamels, what that girl said who was raped, that she was a princess, she was raped by her half-brother. What she says is almost exactly the same as what people who are raped in this country would say now, despite there being completely different class and culture and era. Actually, the emotions you go through if you've suffered violation, are pretty much normal. Often we think, oh, it's just me, I'm, I'm feeling like this, it's not my, I must be different, it must be my fault. No, it's not. You'll feel exactly the same as someone did 3,000 years ago. Um, there are lots of things you would feel, Linda touched on it, but often it's silence, shame, and uh, stigma. Often we have this instinct to not talk about it, it's very hard to talk about we feel a great shame. Remember, shame is different from, from sin because we haven't done anything wrong. If someone beats me up, I will feel shame, but I've not sinned. So how do you minister into that? How do you deal with that? What would Jesus say into that? Um, well, there's lots he would say and there's lots we could say, but I just want to end on, on this advice from Jesus if this clicks through. Yeah. That which is hidden, Jesus said this in Mark 4, that which is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And that which is concealed is meant to be brought to the light. It goes against our instinct to do this, because we want to cover it up. Uh, but what Jesus is saying, that which is hidden is meant to be disclosed. It may not be disclosed, but Jesus says it's meant to be. It should be brought to the light. You may have been carrying abuse for decades. Actually, it's meant to be talked about very difficult to talk about it, it's meant to be talked about it. it sh some people carry abuse to their graves with them. Uh, well, take courage and try and talk about it. Um, some people say things like, oh, you shouldn't speak ill of the dead. Well, if they're abused, if they abused you, why not? Jesus said you should disclose it. As a country, we are, we are stronger for talking about Jimmy Savile. Uh, we are meant to talk about this stuff, or we're meant to bring it to the light. When Jesus, again, was juxtapositioned between a religious man and a female that had been abused for at least 13 years because of a situation she couldn't help, um, he said this to her, and this is how he dealt with her. And the point here is that Jesus can use abuse. He can heal us from abuse. Uh, first of all, he asked her what was going on, what was happening. And it says in Mark, only a chapter after these verses here, it says in Mark um, that she told him the whole truth. That must have taken enormous guts, but she told him the whole truth. So take to Jesus the whole truth. Remember, he's not going to blame you. God detests what you've been through. Um, when Jesus heard that, he said these words to him. He says, my daughter. Just unpack that. How empowering is that in front of all these religious people? You are my daughter. You're a princess, actually, because I'm the king of kings, so you're a princess. Your faith has healed you. Again, it's really nothing to do with Jesus. You've done so well to get to this point just by keeping going 
You've spoken about it. Your faith has healed you. It will heal you. Have faith that by speaking about it, it will be healed and that Jesus can heal you. Then he said, go in peace. A good friend of mine um, grew up in a Hindu family and suffered horrendous abuse, both directly into her mother and brothers, to the point if she ever even hears a buckle, the sound of a belt buckle, sends shudders down her spine. She said when she met with Jesus alone in her room, a great peace descended upon her. She saw a vision of Jesus into her head, right through her body, right through every element of her being. It was a transformative moment in her life. Jesus says, go in peace, have my peace. He can offer that peace to anyone, here or in your own room or anywhere. And then he says, be freed from your suffering. Jesus wants you to be freed from your suffering. I'm going to close in prayer. John and the band are going to come up and... Uh, lead us in some songs and there'll be time for worship and time to worship. Uh, Linda will be here. David's here as well. If anyone wants to talk to Linda or anyone else, uh, do. But let me just close in prayer. Why don't we stand just as I pray? Lord Jesus, we just know there is so much abuse around this world. It breaks our heart. You detest it. We detest it. I know if anything about you, you call people to fight abuse. So Lord, we pray for doctors, magistrates, lawyers, undercover reporters, anyone to fight this abuse in every community around this planet. And Lord Jesus, we we thank you that you hate it. We thank you you never blame the victim. And we thank you you want healing, you want restoration, you want peace uh, to come into them. Lord, give people courage to disclose what they need to disclose, to bring it to light where they need to bring it to light. And be with us now as we worship you. And may you bring your peace into the lives of the situation. May you bring your healing as you've done with Linda. May you do it again. And we may, all, may we all go out in the strength and the courage of whistleblowers to say, leave her alone, to stop abusing her and embody Jesus' attitude towards abuse in our lives. Amen. Amen. questions without answers I've known sorrow I have known pain but there's one thing that I'll cling to you are faithful Jesus you're true I've had questions I've had questions without answers. I've known sorrow, I have known pain. But there's one thing that I'll cling to. You are faithful, Jesus, you're true. When hope is lost, I'll call you Savior. 
When pain surrounds, I'll call you healer. When silence falls, you'll be the song within my heart. In the lone of my sorrow through the darkest night of my soul you surround me and sustain me my defender forevermore is lost, I'll call you Savior. When pain surrounds, I'll call you healer. When silence falls, you'll be the song within my tears fall still I will sing to you I will praise you Jesus praise you through the suffering still I will sing Holy Spirit will you move among us as we worship you Bring your healing to us. When hope is lost, I'll call you Savior. When pain surrounds, I'll call you healer. When silence falls, you'll be the song within my heart. And I will praise you, I will praise you. When the tears fall, still I will sing to you I will praise you Jesus praise you through the suffering still I will sing you are my rock in time trouble you lift me up when I fall down all through the storm 
Jesus. You know, I had to picture as we were singing that song um, that God sits on the throne of our hearts and he really does. He takes place on the inside of our heart. He, his his um, desire is for just to have all of our hearts. And some of us in this place today, you know, when, we're, when things are going well and things are going good, we just embrace it and we just open up like, come on in, come on in. But there, you know, our hearts are like little rooms. And sometimes we just say, yeah, come on in. But there's areas in our hearts that we don't want people to know about. There are areas in our hearts where we say, no, I can't go there. But God says differently. He wants you to open up that area. He wants you to open that area because he loves you. He knows the damage it's done. He knows the hurt. He knows the pain. He suffered that pain himself on the cross. But he wants to bring freedom to you today. And so, Father, I just pray right now. Right now, Father, for those that may don't want to unlock those doors. Give them the boldness to say enough is enough and bring it out into the light and bring freedom. Pulling out the weeds of bitterness, shame, unforgiveness, fear, and all the rubbish that goes with it. You're a God who brings joy, that brings peace, that brings life, that brings healing, that wants us to be whole. And so I pray for 
each individual today, Lord, that may be going through this. Thank you that you are our healer. Thank you that you restore. Thank you that you love unconditionally. And there is no shame. Shame can be broken down in the name of Jesus. So we just pray that into being, in Jesus' name. Oh, God. 